And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. With me tonight, I have Alex from A-Town Reviews, and I also have Nick Kraftis with us, and of course, my co-pilot, uh, Charlie, with, uh, Charlie with me as as usual. Say hello to everybody. Hello. And tonight, we're actually doing our Dune spoiler review, and this is a movie that is was on my anticipated uh, movie watch list and everything, especially with everything that was going on with it, especially when it was held back because COVID and things like that. Now they actually have it on streaming services with HBO Max. I sat down and got a chance to watch it on, matter of fact, Sunday evening, well, Sunday morning, my fiance and I decided to go ahead and watch this film. And I really loved it. I liked the visual effects of it. I loved the tone of it. It felt like Game of Thrones because of the way they were introducing each house. You actually understand the background of it, the politics of it, on what everything is going on within this world of Dune. And they also break... And another thing that I was kind of afraid of was, was this going to be a too complex story for someone like Alex and Charlie and I to be able to understand? So I have Nick on here to be able to explain the novels, what he thought about this Dune remake and everything too. But when you look at the plot, when you look at this... It start, starts in uh, 10191, Duke uh, Leto of House of Altris, uh, ruler of the ocean planet Kalandan, is associated by, by the uh, Peridesha Emperor uh, Shadam Karona V to replace House Harkin as fifth ruler of Arkans. Arcus is a harsh desert planet, and the only source of spice is viable substance that extends human vitality and is critical for installer travel. In reality, Shaddam intends to have House Harkin stage a, a coup of, uh, to retake the planet with the aid of the Emperor. And like I said, this thing is really good. I really love the storyline. Also, too, it is able to actually give you a sense of what this film's about. You actually are introduced into the beef war between the Emperor and everything, and Dave Batista is actually his right-hand man when it comes down to delivering certain messages and things like that. He holds the same higher power than, than an Emperor does. Also, too, I like how they're going into this desert and not even expecting what's going to happen to them or anything like that, because you also have where it's like, well, they're all here with us. Yeah, because they're told they have to be there. So, therefore, they're made to actually just clap along and go along with everything, even though they don't like the fact that they're there, but they're there anyways. But what did you guys think about the opening scenes? I thought I was blown away with the visual effects of it at the very start of the film. So just to clear up a few things for the listeners real quick, uh, the planets Arrakis, Atreides, and Harkonnen. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) Just making sure we're clear. And I have to agree with Alex whenever I was watching his review. The visual effects is definitely stunning. It's something that I would put on my wall because of the st- visual effects that's in this movie. Even with the dark shadowy stuff with Jessica walking in those dark shadowy spaces and it's in black and white, I would have that on my wall. I would have these desert stuff on my wall. But it's just visually stunning. The war that takes place in the first five minutes and give you the context of what this movie's about, I was blown away with. Mm-hmm. So what are your guys' opening thoughts on this? Yeah, for, for me, as uh, soon as it started, I was just like, okay, this is one of those movies that look good, good. Uh, I was, what, the first thing that caught my, my eye was uh, House Atreides, just how much swag they had 
this all this is how their outfits look. They had the robes, their their armor, just everything looks stylish. And I was proper. like, okay, I'm I'm definitely behind this group. I I want I want these outfits in my wardrobe. Like like yesterday, like, that was my favorite part, honestly. To be honest with you, man, I'm with you on that because I wanted some of those suits myself. I'm like, man, I would look fly with something like that, to be honest. That's actually the suits that I would want. Even the desert suits that they have to actually keep you um, keep you hydrated and stuff like that. I would like to actually have that, too. But mm-hmm. I loved I loved the suits, though. The suit layouts and stuff like that was just beautifully stunning. Yeah, the costume and, design was phenomenal. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, another thing, though, too, that I liked, aside from that, is the chemistry with the father with Paul mm-hmm. and him explaining the fact, hey, look, I didn't want uh, – here's the thing. I don't want – I didn't want to do this in the fir- first place or whatever. I wanted to do something else. I wanted to be a pilot, and I was made to have to do this. And then it kind of goes with Paul, though, in a sense. It's like, I don't want to do this either, but I'm having to do this because of the fact that I'm having to protect everyone that I care about because there are certain enemies there. And I also like the training that he had to go through as well. Mm-hmm. It has this video game kind of feel with it and stuff like that. And, you know, that's something that I really have to say that I liked about the training part and things like that, too. I really feel like, you know, they actually grabbed us mm-hmm. with that. So and- on, on that note, actually, that scene is probably the single biggest improvement from the 1984 version um obviously special effects have come a long way so that alone you know improved it but one of the things that's really important about that scene and i think that they did a good job of, of demonstrating it from the books to translating it to film was how those shields work right so a lot of people are who haven't read the books ask why are they using swords why aren't they using guns and more advanced weapons well, it turns out those shields block anything that is a high-speed projectile coming at you. So that's why having a slow blade coming in and things like that, we're able to defeat it. It's the one weakness. But you know, for that training scene itself, you have to think about, okay, they're not just swinging for speed and attack power and stuff like that, but they're actually trying to maneuver it to get through the shield and penetrate you at the same time. So it's like a whole nother level of fighting that just like has evolved over, you know, the course of about 8,000 years from today. Definitely. That was the coolest looking scene. I loved how the shields worked, just especially when they were like slowly trying to penetrate Mm -hmm. through the shield. Like that was always really, that, that looked really cool to me. And there, like there's a scene later on in the movie where it shows like a missile, coming down on one yeah. of their ships and it just like how it just starts burrowing mm-hmm. into the shield i was like that looks so cool i love this shield it, it's it makes sense mm-hmm. for for war to have like force field shield energy shields i, I thought that yeah. was a really cool concept now something that's important about them also is i don't know if you noticed during the harkonnen attack there were those laser beams that's what they call them or laser guns that were just shooting those big blue beams from the, the infantry units when those hit a shield it actually creates in the books a minor atomic explosion. So shooting a shield wall with that over a city, you know, could theoretically blow up everything. 
So that's why they're just dropping those bombs down from the top and then waiting for their infantry units on the ground to take out the smaller guys. Because those are just, they're going to be little puffs of atomic explosions. Obviously not good, but you're not destroying everything you're trying to conquer at the same time. Yeah, that's awesome. I really like that. Um, also, like I said before, I mean, this, I wish I would actually put that in it with the book and everything because they could put that part into it mm-hmm. because of the special effects today. Yeah. But knowing that's that powerful, that makes it even that more dangerous, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. And I like that level of intensity. So maybe they may actually put it into the next film. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing, well, too, like at first I thought the training stuff was just for the training stuff, you know, where basically it's like, OK, it's a, it's a training exercise. It's like a VR kind of thing with video games or whatever. I thought, OK, mm-hmm. he's just training Paul. And just to see that in war and battle, I'm like, okay, so it's not just a training exercise like I had thought. This is actually mm-hmm. how they protect themselves when they're going up against an enemy. So I liked how they did that. And also, too, I liked how Paul goes, well, you know what? I don't feel like yeah. practicing today. I just don't have the will to do it or anything. All of a sudden, um, his trainer goes on ahead and goes, oh, really? He throws a knife at him and he goes, okay, you're really pissing me off. And then after that winds up happening, mm-hmm. then he starts uh, training with him and everything. He goes, oh, I see that you found the mood. Mm-hmm. So I like that back and forth. I thought Josh Brolin was perfect yes. for Gurney Halleck also. I mean, just the rough about him, you know, gives no shits. I am here to do one job right now, and it's to make sure that you're ready for Arrakis and the shit that we're about to go through. <laughs> Definitely. He was great. He was yeah. great. Love Josh. I love Josh Brolin. He, mm-hmm. he does great work. What about you, though, Charlie? What's some of the um, stuff that you like? So the stuff I like, again, we're echoing to the choir. The visuals were absolutely stunning, and I think you had the best director to do that. I mean, just the other movies he's done, like, yeah, I didn't care for Blade Runner 2049, but that visually was really cool. Like, I love, and then, like, Arrival, the visuals in the Arrival back in 2016, that was really cool looking. But I think the first movie I saw him do was Sicario, and the one with Emily Blunt and uh, uh, Josh, uh, Josh Brolin. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, but that sequence of the raid, this raid sequence was shot off through like the, uh, the night vision goggles. And that's what the whole screen was that. I mean, that's how I knew I'm like, I was really like blown away at how he was able to do that. And I just figured, and then again, the visuals are like, I got to get this in 4k. Cause it's just, mm-hmm. I had to play, I had like, I mean, the visuals were just absolutely stunning, but I was a little I was like I was like okay I'm waiting for the big battle sequences because I figured there's like they showed a lot of them in the trailer but and then once they got to that that sequence was intense and it's like mm-hmm. how Josh Brolin's character we didn't see him die we just saw his crew get like like get Batista <laughs> but I mean Batista I mean I gotta say my my fa- man my fan favorite character was Duncan like Duncan mm-hmm. Idaho like Jason Momoa was like the perfect character to play him. He was a badass. He was such a badass, and I'm glad they got him some moments where he, him taking out guys one on like like multiple enemies one on one. I thought that was really really good, um, and I, it was really weird seeing him without the beard mm-hmm. <laughs> for that one sequence. Was because I'm so used to seeing him with a beard. Seeing him like beardless was so weird. He looked like Gaston. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was I, I was, was actually thinking that I was like. He could play as Gaston if he mm-hmm. really wanted to. <laughs> That's true. That's big old beer mug. He has one of the best scenes in the book that was not used in the film. Um, 
one of my only things that I was a little bummed about. There's this dinner scene when they first get to Arrakis where Duncan gets hammered drunk on spice beer <laughs> and for the first time ever talks back to the Atreides because he knows because he's the ultimate strategist, computer brain human, that there's something not right here. And he lets Leto know. But hey, they redeemed it with a hallway scene. So. Right. The hallway scene was really good, to be honest with you. And then also, too, with Paul having that vision, you're not sure if that scene's going to be in there or not, because Paul's visions are not very clear to him just yet. Also, mm -hmm. too, I like how Paul is trying to discover his powers, trying to discover who he is as a person and things like that. He's also preparing for battle, but he's also doesn't know quite what to do with these visions that he's having in his sleep and things like that. And also too, he has this other power and uh, Nick, you can go on ahead and tell me what that other power is because I completely forgot what that the <laughs> voice. And you see, I liked how they managed to change that in, in the movie mm -hmm. and everything too, how he uses the voice to get what he wants because it's supposed to be this threatening kind of voice to mm -hmm. make, them and command them on what they're doing it's kind of like jedi mind trick in a sense by commanding people to give them what they want and what they need to do it's, but it's exactly too, where star right. wars got the force from is the right. voice i can That's see that cool. i can definitely see That's that cool. when did the and, books come out i'm sorry the first dune was written in 1965 oh wow okay so okay. it and a little bit of history on it for those who haven't read it it's the book that pretty much launched the sci-fi genre. Uh, Star Wars, Terminator, The Matrix, even stuff like Game of Thrones. All of it has its archetypes built within Doom. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see elements of Terminator, elements of The Matrix, elements mm -hmm. of other sci-fi genres that we loved and we grew up on within mm -hmm. this Doom universe. And for this to be as I know that the books are old and I know that the film is all, the original film is old and everything. It's just good to be able to give us a film that is geared towards us and also seeing other elements play out within this universe that was used for other films that we love today. That is something that I really love and touched on, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also, like I said, I like the voice and everything. And at first, I knew I had a feeling that maybe he might be telepathic and that's what I was thinking because of the fact that it was taking me out of the film a little bit because it was not syncing upright with the digital quality of the film mm -hmm. when I was watching it at my home. But then I went on, he had signed out and everything after that, because here's the thing, when the guy is reading the scroll and everything, when it was unsynced and it wasn't syncing upright, the guy's reading the scroll and everything, but nothing was being projected out of him. Uh. So I'm like, okay, is this part of the movie? Is this not part of the movie? What's the deal with it? Then once I winded up doing it and signing out, deleting the app, downloading the app, that's one of the problems about not going to the movie theaters or whatever mm -hmm. to see this film is because of things that are not actually great when it comes down to digital formats. It could There's actually problems within digital media whenever it comes down to that. And being able to see the, uh, the guy read off the scroll, the conditions of them going into Arkans and being able to uh, do that. I really love the fact that these, these are the rules. These are the guidelines. Do you accept these guidelines? Of course they accept. And then they're having to pack up 
everything they loved, everything that they known, so that way they can go on ahead, get the spice field back up again. Then also, too, gain control of that, but gain control of the desert, but also gain control of the ocean. So therefore, they can command two areas and build their fleet up. That is something that I really liked about it, was the fact they're getting their uh, soldiers together for battle. And it's a slow burn type of movie that I really feel like that is missing in some of our movies today, where mm-hmm. it takes a minute for us to build up to another film or within a couple of minutes of another scene or whatever. I feel like that this film does what it needs to do. It gives you that slow burn to where you're introduced into different universes and you let us know the politics of those different universes. And I think it's smart. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a great job establishing the different planets too. Um, you know, that's definitely the hardest thing to do in film because we don't have multiple planets to go to yet. Keyword. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, that scene in particular that you're talking about, John, where, you know, they're reading the scroll and everything that's happening. There are so many little Easter eggs in there for the the Dune fan that has actually gone out and, and read the books. Like those guys with the orange helmets don't say anything, but they're there. They're actually super important characters too. And like so much of that scene visually is just filled with information for part two and for the future of the Dune universe if they continue to make, make the films. But what about you for you, Alex? I, I was just thinking like how much, like I didn't mind the long runtime because what I really appreciate about this movie is that it went into like the little details about how, the world works like mm-hmm. like one example is like when it's talking about how the fremen have to walk across the desert mm-hmm. to, to break the rhythmic vibration so they don't attract the sand or like little things like that just show me how this world works i really appreciate it when a movie mm-hmm. takes the time to do that because like i'm 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 invested into it in the story already like i want to know mm-hmm. how this world works and i i appreciate that what about you for you charlie yeah, I mean, I mean, the slow run, like, like I, I, I mean, I don't typically like slow run, t- like long, long run times, unless it keeps you hooked in. And at first, it started a little bit slow, and then once it went to the next island, it's picked up. And as soon as, uh, like, Paul was watching the intro video about the sandworms, and then about how to walk on that, and then that's when he saw the little, the little hunter, uh, what was that? What, what was that? Hunter sneaker. Hunter sneak uh, seeker. Once that showed up, that's when the movie picked up. Because you knew mm-hmm. that there was something was going on, like something was happening, some, some sinister was about to happen, and then and I think that's when it picked up. But mm-hmm. just seeing them walk on the sands, like, are you guys practicing your martial arts or your sun chi ness <laughs> or whatever? <laughs> whatever that's just, I thought that was just funny. But seeing the sandworms visually, it was like, OMG, <laughs> those paints are just awesome. yeah, yeah, spent a full calendar year making those in post. That's that's just crazy. (laughs) But I like the narrator when, like Charlie was talking about how they were how the character uses the narrator to tell us about a planet on what he's studying is telling the audience a story within the world that they that they are living in, and they don't have to show us anything. They just have to tell us the story through the eyes of the narrator, through the Mm -hmm. eyes of Paul. And then they move on to the next thing without having to show a flashback, without them having to do ma- many things or anything like that. I appreciated the fact that they didn't treat their audience like they were stupid. 
even mm-hmm. though this is our first go-to into the Dune universe without reading the books, it's geared towards people that re- haven't read the books mm-hmm. and also to people who have read the books and can catch the little Easter eggs, like you said, Nick. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate the little stuff when it comes down to it with the narration of it, explaining the rules, the regulations and things like that. That's something that I really liked. And yeah, I think that is mm-hmm. something that I really like. And yeah, then, nothing was spoon fed to you in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, to give a shout out to the guys that inspired me to read all the books, Alien Superhighway 69. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Greatest name ever. <laughs> yeah. Upcoming podcast. We'll see if it gets started. <laughs> Might be Dune oriented. We'll see. But yeah, and then another thing, though, that I have to say is this. Whenever the witch comes over there to see Lady Jessica, mm-hmm. and then... She's like, well, this is your fault for not producing a female heir because of the fact that you gave birth to a male heir instead. Mm-hmm. And now he can't control his emotions. He can't control those visions like a woman can or anything like that. This is all your fault. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, that's pretty harsh to say to someone that has no control over the fact. She on- does. She has she full does? control over that. Um, she does? So okay. you're 10,191, right? We're way advanced. The Bene Gesserit, and this is, again, where the force comes from, right? They're basically able to control every single cell in their bodies. So at the moment of conception, she made a conscious choice to have a son and go against the breeding programs that have been going on for about 8,000 years. Essentially, the, the Bene Gesserit triangle leading up to the perfect mind was one generation away. And it was supposed to be a boy the next generation but paul coming now throws a wrench in their plans and essentially when she said we've done all we can to make sure he survives she means that she's foreseen this as well knowing that the decision was going to be made and last second for them is like over the last few hundred years they've been building up this religious superstition on arrakis for when paul arrives because they know it's their only shot at getting their program back on track right and okay, so I didn't even know that she has the capability of changing the sex of the baby or anything like that. Because I'm like, damn, that woman's just harsh towards her and stuff like that. I didn't even expect that. So I'm like, okay, so now that makes sense. And then also too, him having the hand in the box, and then of course, if she he goes out moving, right? But the needle, he'll die if he makes any sign moves and everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, ooh. What would I and I'm, I'm picturing myself in his shoes? What would I do at that moment? Would I re, have the same reaction of trying to move my hand back, or would I go ahead and try to make any quick reactions? You know, uh, so that's another thing that I have to say that I liked about it was the fact that it made me question my own inabilities and stuff like that, too, on how I would react to something mm-hmm. like that, and also, too. Then uh, once that winds up happening, we wind up seeing, of course, she goes, well, tell me more about those dreams you had. Mm-hmm. And it finds out more that it's more like visions versus having dreams. And they're not very 100% clear of what he's having. So that's something I liked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you guys wanted to dive into as far as that scene goes or anything like that? I, I was actually a, a bit confused on the... What are the 
women called Bene Gesserit. Bene Gesserit. I, I was kind of lost. Like I, I understood the concept of the voice, but in terms of like what they were trying to do exactly was unclear mm-hmm. to me. Like, are they trying to create this ultimate being or are they just trying to make colonization on Arrakis easier? Or so for a Game of Thrones comparison, they're like an entire organization of little fingers. Oh, like they're playing all of the political, they're pulling all the political strings behind the scenes. Like they control the emperor. They really are the ones who control the spice flow, even though the Harkonnens are the ones that own the fields up until the Atreides family takes over the planet. But ultimately their only goal is this breeding program. It's their most important thing. And Jessica essentially ruined it for them. And now the consequences of that are unfolding. And that's why they're taking such a vetted interest in Paul. Okay. 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 So that makes makes sense. And that scene in particular for the book was basically word for word. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. That, that is definitely crazy, to be honest. I mean, I wasn't expecting the fact that she can actually change the sexes. I didn't understand mm-hmm. the concept with the women and things like that. I wish that they would give us a little bit more context with that part, because I feel like that needed to be explained a little bit more. But because I'm like, I'm just feeling bad for Jessica. It's like, you know, this I was like, this woman doesn't have any control over who mm-hmm. she is. Who are who the sex of the baby is or anything like that? And then all of a sudden, you, now you just told me that. Like, okay, never mind. She's had every right to complain about that. So, mm-hmm. so in in the book, there is still a lot of reason to be sad for Jessica. Um, for one, everybody within the Atreides house that's still alive after the attack thinks that she's behind it and thinks that for some reason, because she's a Bene Gesserit witch, she has alternative plans for Paul and wants to kill him. Uh, They think that she's the one that put the hunter seeker in his room. And of course, none of this is true. She's a loving mother all the way through. But, um, you know, they they definitely in the film tried to crank up the emotional appeal to her just from the way that she's treated in general. Um, And that's important, especially like, you know, that I should have married you stuff. All all of that that's in the book as well. Um, She is a concubine ultimately she's not truly royalty and that plays a major part in why the Bene Gesserit view the relationship the way that it is right it's right. a relationship out of love it's not a relationship out of their plans so all of these little mistakes but her bloodline is so important they don't really have a choice but to back whatever she does ultimately making her very unique in the universe at that point because that, and they don't actually mention this in the movie, but the emperor is the head of a dictatorship that rules over basically the known universe. So she's the one person in the known universe that has this right mixture of genes to create the perfect next person for their plans. And she threw it off. So now you have like an imperfect person trying to balance all these powers out mm-hmm. and everything too, and trying to figure out who mm-hmm. he is trying to, I like that complexity to be honest of the characters about character growth and layers of a character that I care about. So I like Paul. I mean, I'll, I'll have to say this. I do like Paul in this movie. 
mm-hmm. because of the perfect fact casting. It definitely is. He has that awkwardness mm-hmm. to him. He also has this uh, introvert kind of thing where he wants to stay mm-hmm. to himself kind of thing. But the only person he can actually connect with is Duncan because he's the only one that he can pretty much is on the same Duncan and him are on that same level. Mm-hmm. Too. So that's something I did appreciate. And of course, the back and forth with the father and, and Paul was really good mm-hmm. because I also liked how they come from this family where they thought it was fun to fight a bull. And they even had the big bull head to represent mm-hmm. uh, the grandfather in the past life. So I like that to show some type of history within the family without having to show us the history of mm-hmm. that family. So I like and that. To bring it back to something that is only given in the movies a little bit because of the bull and the last name and stuff like that. But in the books, it's described in further detail. They're all from ancient Greek lineage. Basically, the line of kings from like the Spartan era, and they all worshipped bulls back then. So that was a little nugget that Herbert decided to throw in there. Was on top of them having a Greek last name and their features. If you describe Timothy Chalamet as a human being, what he looks like, it's almost verbatim what Frank Herbert envisioned for Paul Atreides. So they really just nailed that there, tying those two together. They definitely did. Mm-hmm. And before we get carry on with the rest of this review, um, there's, a, there's a little something that Jason Momoa did to his face that I want to just bring up real quick. He ended up shaving. And I'm and here's the thing. I was curious about <laughs> what he could be shaving with, you know, and, you know, and I know that we have a ball bag inside the inside the live chat that I had a band, but, you know, it's always good to shave with the right kind of blade. That's why you want to go ahead and get yourself a Manscaped. And also, too, guess what? You get 20% off using Movie Lovers Unite plus free shipping and handling. And get this, support for Movie Lovers Unite is supported by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world like Jason Momoa uses Manscaped, offers precise engineering tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0 joined over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Even Jason Momoa would have to agree that this is a good deal, especially during the holiday season, especially whenever you're going by the fire, the fireplace and everything during this Keeping your nuts warm and an open fire is definitely not the right way to go, but you want to be able to shave in front of an open fire with a manscape. And using uh, Movie Lovers Unite for your t- free 20% off shipping and free sh- uh, handling is definitely the right way to go. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people to try the 4.0, and I'm blown away with the performance, the craftsmanship, and detail on the 4.0 are next level. Let me just say this. You don't want to be like Rambo out in the jungle to shape your beard or anything like that with that long knife. No, you want something smooth. You want something to actually say, hey, look, I'm a man. I need something smooth for my boys. This is what I need to have. Because trust me, shaving with the wrong thing can nip your balls, and you don't want to nip your balls in the wrong way or make you bleed out or anything like that. That's not good to nip your balls. So so using the 4.0 Manscaped Engineering, the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience, the fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge 
uh, ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. I now feel confident, like Jason Momoa does, shaving his boys and shaving my boys. So the upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4000 LED the spotlight on, on and off for those needed to hard reach places that you never knew that you had before. Having that LED light definitely helps because you don't want to look like Chewbacca by the time the night is over with. You want to at least your woman say, gee, you have some nice balls. So the Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes one through four. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, yeah, which can help battery length last longer. Men, if you've been shaving with the wrong, with the same nut trimmer on your face, if you've been doing it wrong, no person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. No, sir, you don't. They don't want to have anything to pull out of their teeth. That's just nasty. Men are just disgusting if you think about it. But with the Manscaped 4.0, you don't have to worry about no pubes in your mouth because you know why? Because you're in the you're in good hands with Manscaped. And it's the time to get your ball and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice, smooth boys. Get 20% off, free plus shipping and handling with the movie uh, with the code MovieLovesYourNight at Manscaped.com, and your balls will thank you. So that's everything that you need to know about Manscaped 4.0, and I hope that you guys enjoy the rest of our review. Surprised, like in the chat of the private chat, you didn't say shave with the best arachnus manscaped. I know, I spoon fed that to you. <laughs> Sorry, dude, I was just shave going with the best of arachnus with manscaped. <laughs> I'm gonna use that for the next one, I promise. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> don't know how to come out after that one. <laughs> How's everyone's ball feeling? A little sandy. <laughs> they say sandy. you have to shower with. You know what's good for that though? The ball deodorant is good for the sandy areas that you don't want to feel like you're on arrakis or anything like that. And also too, that's also why you want to shave with the best of arrakis manscaped. Arrakis manscaped is perfect for you. You would come out looking like Jason Momoa on a good day, not on a bad day. So go ahead, get yourself a manscaped 4.0. I guarantee you, your balls will thank you. There we go. Okay, I didn't know this was an infomercial. Okay, <laughs> it is now, Charlie. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> so I want to see like a Dune QVC though, where it's all just like different random Fremen products that you could find out there, like a thumper, but like it's been used and like really beat up. That hunter seeker, you can use it for a very close shave. Like if you want to nick yourself, you'll get that yeah. like the little tip of it's gonna nick you. Like yeah, I mean. Ooh, so that actually brings up the important little nugget that we can bridge over with the Chrissy knives, which are the knives made out of the, the tooth of the worm, right? So if you guys all noticed at the end, all the Fremen cut their wrist with it on mm. the top. That's because those blades need to be charged with blood. As soon as they touch air, they start losing their potency. But when they're fully charged, they're like twice as lethal as like just a regular knife. Like just stabbing someone with like a little prick and like it's not exactly like a poison. Like you can poison them, but it, it's more of just like a more effective attack at that point. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that. I missed that part. But they they don't talk about that specifically in the movie. It was just one of those little nuggets that's in there. Like they cut it. Like the the woman that gives Jessica the knife in the book, she actually has to prick her with it reluctantly. And it's like this ultimate sign. Like she gave her water 
from her blood to the blade so that it's at its most effectiveness for the chosen one's mother. That actually explains a lot now that we actually have that in the context, because at first you don't know what the blade actually represents or anything. Mm -hmm. We just know it's a blade to do some damage and to kill the the person that, that they need to kill. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you explained it in that context because I didn't even have a clue about that. Mm -hmm. Well, and to get it too, you know, it's, it's from the mouth of a worm and from the look of it, right. They're not killing those very easily. There is a way to do it. I'm not going to spoil it because it'll most likely be talked about in part two. But um, to get it, it, you know, it's a great honor. And it to kind of tap into our own history, you know, in the Middle East, there's certain religions that believe as soon as the blade leaves its sheath, it has to draw blood. That's really where he pulled from for this, for the for the book. That's cool. um, yeah, there, a lot of cultures were kind of blended together to create the futuristic culture that is the, like the Imperium. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, sorry, go ahead, John. No, 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 go on ahead, Charlie. I was about to say, isn't that the, the knife that he, he gets stabbed in, in the dream sequence where he's down on the ground? Like, that wasn't that that Chris knife that he gets mm-hmm. stabbed with? Oh, okay, because he, he started bleeding a lot after that one. So mm-hmm. um, that makes the, more sense. Yeah. Well, So that's actually, that symbolizes also the holy war that's coming, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm sure if you guys remember back when he's having that vision and he sees all of the Fremen on uh, Calderon, or no, that's Caladan, Caladan, sorry, not Star Wars, (laughs) Um, when they're all on Caladan and they're all chanting his name, right, for the Atreides, Mm -hmm. the Fremen aren't on Dune anymore. And as we learned earlier in the film, transporting people across space is incredibly expensive. So that kind of symbolizes Paul's holy war is going to be jumping from multiple planets, not just on Arrakis. And the amount of blood that's on Chani's hand symbolizes the intense amount of bloodshed that is going to come from his holy war. Mm. Which is why he's freaking out to his mother when they're inside the tent. Mm. Wow. That's a major foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Because it'll be like the blood is on his hands now, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're and also too dealing with the fact that because it's on his hands, it's heavy that wears the crown basically. Mm-hmm. So I like that, and also too the, the tent thing I really liked because their own blood and well their own sweat and mm-hmm. tears is what's holding them together, and also too that's what they're basically surviving off of with the tent that is holding mm-hmm. their sweat and everything. And I like that though because it feels like. Yeah, they're hiding out, but at the same time, they're sweating and stuff like that, but they're using it as a way to survive and also yeah. help each other. And I like that. That was probably my favorite scene in the entire movie, <clears throat> to be honest. Um, just from an execution standpoint, I mean, it's a simple scene. They're just inside a tent. Mm-hmm. But so much happens in there that's important for the overarching story, for his immediate story, for Jessica's story. I mean, the part where he goes, you're pregnant. She's like, how'd you know that? You know, it's him telling his mother right there. I'm so sensitive to what's happening right now that I even know what's happening to you. And he's having visions of that future and what's to come. And what's to come is insanely mind blowing. (laughs) And I can't wait for you guys to experience it in part two. 
If I may backtrack for a little bit, we were talking about characters we liked. Um, Paul, I didn't care for him in this movie. I thought he was very wooden as a person. I, I was just, I was just like, there's not really much about him that draws me to him. Is that how? And I don't think it's like acting because Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Sh- I hope I said it right. Like he's a great actor. Yeah. I know he knows what he's doing. But it's just like the character of Paul himself was just the least impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, oh, why would anyone want to follow yeah. him? He just seems very boring. Like, is that how he is in the book too? He's just mm-hmm. very like he is 17 in the book. So he's very much that awkward teenager who hasn't quite found his way yet. He has those emotional out outspurts like in the yeah. tent. You know, that's not a choice that Timothy made. That's something that the character really has in him. He's extremely conflicted. Mm. So there's going to be that shy reluctancy to him, kind of mixed with that Atreides cockiness. And the more and more he evolves as a person, he kind of elevates both of those in a way. Like he becomes a more conservative person, but has these incredible powers and gifts that are undeniable. So he kind of embraces both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean you're you're definitely gonna see some major growth over him, especially if they if they follow the the timeline that happens with this upcoming act. Um, you know, we're gonna see a few years of growth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just it, it's just like I'm I'm just watching him and his face just remained the same mm-hmm. for most of the movie for me. Like I'm I'm very big into like the characters, like I always visualize, like, oh, could I hang out with this dude? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I, I would not want to chill with Paul. He just seemed like he would be depressing me and I'd have to leave. Like, I'm going to go away, Paul. <laughs> a little foreshadow to the future. His son, Lido, too, you would love to hang out with. <laughs> okay, that's way better. <laughs> I can Lido, see you hanging out with Paul on the, on the beach or something in the ocean. <laughs> it's like, so, Paul, what you doing? Just sitting here watching the <laughs> waves. Yeah, he's just dude, spooning I'm sand in his hand. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I'm leave, Paul. I'm gonna go hang out with I just tripped at this girl. Cool. Just looking right in front of you. But, um, I mean, like, I, I think the character, like I mentioned before, I really like Duncan because he brought some comic relief to it. I just mm. thought he was hysterical. Like, the part is like, hey, so you grow some muscle. Really? No. Like, just the nonsense, just the, the, the delivery of it. And every time he's on there, it's like, it's, it's, it's enjoyable because you want to hear mm. what Duncan's going to say next. I mean, it's just like, He's just that character, and it feels like he like the bond between him and that. I think he had more bond with the male characters than he does his own mother. And I just feel like the mother just seems like just mm. pushing him. Like every time she can, she's criticizing him. I'm like, you should used you should have used the voice darker or deeper or whatever. And that's all. Like that's all. I mean, yeah, she's trying to look out for him, but it's like I mean, it's like we can't trust you. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it's like it's like I mean, and then again, it's like I've seen since the first couple movies I've seen her in was Mission Impossible, and she was always playing playing the double mm-hmm. two sides. So you just don't know if you can trust her. So I think she's bringing that character that because you can sort of trust her because she's the mom, but then you can you can't. Um, she's playing I mean, like a hundred sides. You're spot yeah. on with that. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like she's playing multiple sides, and then they like, see so it's like so that's the one you can't really trust. Like the one character, mm-hmm. like I mean, I liked, um, I thought uh, Oscar Isaac was fantastic as the Lito. dad, albeit short, mm-hmm. but I liked him because he like he cared about his son, mm-hmm. and then that one outburst he had, like his Paul was like 
that I think the dad just doesn't understand what's what Paul's going through, which is really where the mom comes in, where she's able to mm. understand him. So it's like it's a two complexion, like complexities, like between two of them. Like the dad's like straight, like military that, and then the mom knows all about the vision. So she, you're able to go to her, but then not the dad. And then the mm. last outburst that the dad had was like, um, "Don't ever do it again." And that's the last time mm. he saw, like he saw his dad. Was that before he gets captured? Yeah. So and they said it's like you kind of wish they had a better moment in a sense because you kind of feel like you feel bad for Paul because mm-hmm. it, the last moment he had was dad is his dad yelling at him for almost dying, and it wasn't really Paul's fault. It's because Paul is having a hard time controlling what's going on with him, mm-hmm. and and then and so it's like I get that, and then the only the like I said the only guy who really was with him towards almost the end was Duncan, mm-hmm. um, and I love that he had two hallway fight scenes. I mean, if you can get two hallway fight scenes with Jason Momoa, I mean, that's what I wish Sweet Girl had more of with him in it. But then again, but like, like to have him have that battle and then him get out, like, like when you think he got he, he he died, he gets up, kills more people, and then goes out. He he goes out with mm-hmm. a bang, and yeah. that's the best person. Like that was the best way for him to go out and a sacrifice and just be awesome. But yeah, he he's like outside of Paul for me. My absolute favorite character, just like from the book in general. Um, no, I will. I have to give my the credit where it's due. Stalin Skarsgård as Baron Harkonnen, I thought was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He was creepy. And he was definitely disgusting. Disgustingly creepy, like him on the mm-hmm. wall, like at the end. I was like, "What the heck? How did they?" Oh yeah, after the that? poison tooth. Oh my yeah. god! That like that so was cool. like he was so creepy looking. But I think I wonder if he was the inspiration for Jabba the Hutt. Um, I don't um, know. I mean, definitely but, partially. Um, in oh, the okay. books, he's described as that excessively overweight gajillionaire, right? He can do anything he wants. He has no boundaries for the rules. He has zero consequences for his actions. Um, and in the books, it even goes as far as like, you know, sexual assault. He's a pedophile, straight up. Like, they make no bones about it is what he is. He murders people in front of his own people all the time, but he's so rich and powerful and his family has such a control on their little faction of the Imperium that there's nothing anybody can do about it. And that's really what the Fremen have been dealing with now in, in the movie. It was 80 years. I believe it's much longer than that in the books. Um, that part I'm a little hazy on, but you know, the, their cruelty is right up there with any dictatorship that we've experienced in our own time. Um, and that, I mean, you can really tell he was pulling from the Nazis and the Japanese in particular with their, you know, public executions and shaming of the enemy in order to make them subservient to your will. That's what the Harkonnens do. And it was all written in 1965. So you kind of can just connect the dots of when he was drawing from. Right. Mm-hmm. Thing and not only that, but we also see Dave Batista's character and he and the way he murders people in front of other people too. You mm-hmm. see that being replicated and everything too. What the Emperor's done in front of them, they're also replicating it in front of the their enemy though too. Hey, look, you're gonna die just as my as I as you guys watch your own family mm-hmm. die. So I like that that kind of aspect to it, and also yeah. too. The emperor himself was threatening. He was menacing. You actually understand what his motives were. You understand how threatening he was. 
but you never see them. Well, the pawn that they have, that's basically what I'm saying. But you see layers of the Emperor into this villain that they have for the main baddie that we have. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I wanted, that's what I was meaning behind it. And, you know, I like that though. And then also too, that pretty much like a kiss of death kind of thing. In a sense, with the poison when he was cr- crushing the mm-hmm. when the father winds up crushing the uh, the pill with his tooth, and then the poison comes out, and then of course we think that he's dead, but then you wind up finding out later on he's actually healing himself, and he's trying to get the spice back up again, the spice mm-hmm. operation back up again because that was, so the way he can have control over that. My other question is this: Now, was that machinery actually tampered with to where it was designed for them to feel? Because I, I did feel like with Oscar Isaac, I did feel like they were set up to to feel. So essentially, the Emperor and the Harkonnens are collaborating to destroy the Atreides family because of the threat. Twofold, the Harkonnens are extremely greedy. They want to maintain control over Arrakis, the Spice, everything, and basically be the leading family within the Imperium, still serving underneath House Shaddam, right? But at the same time, the Emperor is very weak. Um, And that's part of why we didn't see him in, in the first act. He doesn't come to major ceremonies. He's not a big public figure. He's extremely brash and he's extremely, you know, materialistic but he's a huge softy. So the Atreides having this big, bold voice and this solid bloodline coming up, he essentially needs to destroy them. So he tries to lure them into Arrakis and, you know, weaken their hand as much as he can. So he's encouraging the Harkonnens to do things like destroy all their spice collectors because the Harkonnens have so much money built up, they can just buy new ones easily. You know, they spent a fortune getting all their forces over to Arrakis to retake it. But it's just a drop in the bucket to what their overall worth is. So rebuilding all of that stuff is nothing to them. They want to make sure that the Atreides know that this isn't going to work out for them. And very soon, you know, their number is going to be called. Right. And basically, we got that, too, when they first come off the ship and everything, too, Mm -hmm. where it's intense and also too and paul is thinking wow all these people came out and like i said before they Mm -hmm. were made to come out because they were forced to come out to clap and celebrate and everything but deep inside they consider them enemies Mm -hmm. of their country so therefore it has like a little bit of mafia type of vibes to it in a sense also too mixed in with red uh the red wedding kind of thing Mm-hmm. basically whenever they wind up insulting the king by giving another on uh, trying to bring another daughter into play to marry the that i'm like yeah that person's dead with this one mm-hmm. they're entering a planet that hates them and they're trying to have it to where they have their army and to where they can get their spice operation back and operational again mm-hmm. but they don't want any part of it they just want them out of there no matter any means possible even destroying their own equipment to do so. So mm-hmm. I, I like that. And a lot of that has to do with the treatment that the Harkonnens gave the Fremen. You know, it's very, very similar to the American West, where white settlers are moving in, 
taking the resources, and once they figure out how to collect said resources, killing off or driving out whoever stands in their way. And unfortunately for the Fremen, they didn't realize their own strength until it was too late. And the Harkonnen are literally white. And that was funny. <laughs> yes, they're extremely white. Um, pasty as can be. I was like, we need to make this a point. Mm-hmm. So white that in 1984, they cast Sting as Rabin. <laughs> Which is Dave Baptista's character, for those of you who don't know. I think that was a good choice. I mean, the cast is like how they got all this together. Usually, I've fallen for the trap. Big cast, good director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, movie. I mean, it happened before with Ridley Scott. So, The Counselor for me, that was one of the one of the worst movies I ever seen. The ending was the one that I was like completely pissed off at. But you had Penelope Cruz, Michael Fassbender, Javier Bardem, mm-hmm. Cameron Diaz, and Brad Pitt. And I believe you had mm-hmm. Marjorie from uh, Game of Thrones was in it. The movie sucked. Like it was like the only cool part was this me- this weapon called the Bolito. It's like a wiretap. So essentially, you slip it. You just walk up on somebody, slip it. It's like kind of an invisible rope or whatever. Slip it over the person's neck and walk, and you just press the button. It's it's a it's no a mechanical one, and and, and uh, that weapon is like the only highlight of that movie. So like but a drop wire. It's it's kind of like one of those wire things, like like Hitman uses. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you just you just walk around. I think it's like it's something you can hand it, put it in your hand. Just walk walk past somebody, slip it over their neck, and press the button, and then there's nothing mm. you can do. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, it was it was, pr- it was pretty it was pretty deadly, mm-hmm. but that was the only highlight. And then again, um, um, and it was directed by Ridley Scott. So, so and the fact that it had this movie had so many big cast members in it from Josh Brolin, J- Jason Momoa, Timothy Chalamet, like all them, it worked. So mm-hmm. it's like it's like it, I like that. And then, but I got to talk about the suits. Those suits, were mm-hmm. awesome. Like Still this, suits. like this visually, were so cool looking, and the fact that uh, Paul knew, like the, the the lady was impressed that Paul was like, "Wait, you, you knew that? Yeah, I just figured it was fine." Like the way he had a suit set up, like how she had to fix everybody else's. Mm-hmm. And Gunny was about to like chop her head off. Like Gunny was like he was about to go Thanos on her. <laughs> but, and then that's when like Leto had this like, "No, no, no, just." chill out mm-hmm. and then paul's like no she didn't have to do anything with paul's which i thought but the suits were cool looking yes yeah mm-hmm. well and that that has a lot to do with you know paul has seen shawnee wearing the still suit so many times in a row in his dream he just kind of knew how it fits like he's seen it enough well and he studies them that's that's true too thank you for the chime in Catherine. <laughs> um other question i had was when we saw the trailers Mm-hmm. Was there parts from the trailer that were not in this movie that might be like like shown for future movies? Which part are you referring to? I don't know. Is there's a lot? I think there was a scene. I know the two of them, Shawnee and Paul, mm. kiss. I'm pretty sure that's gonna be in later movies. And I think so. That happens in the film, but it's just one of his like many oh, flashpoint uh, memories. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's having little little memories of the future, basically. All of that stuff's happening inside Stetch Tabor. So okay. where they're heading to after the Jameis knife fight at the very end, mm-hmm. all that stuff's about to be revealed. Oh, okay. Yeah, was- but like he, there's little nuggets of it. Like, for instance, that huge battle scene that they kept advertising for when he flips his mask up and then it turns out it was just in a memory. That's going to be part of a much larger campaign okay. 
that happens in the next scene yeah. that involves just everything that you've been seeing. Yeah, because I didn't know. Because I, because like when you see the trailer and you know this is multiple mm-hmm. movies, I thought they had that planned out already, mm-hmm. and I figured they'd be showing scenes from other the, from the other movies in the trailer. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know it was. I guess I think the movie is just like going by so fast. It's like it's, yeah. a, it's a quick second. So I that's why I figured I asked. But thanks for that. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that I liked about it was the fact that it showed everything that was in the trailer. They didn't take anything out of it and left it on the editing room floor. And that's something I appreciate with this film. And because of the fact, too, it's also part of his visions. But I also, you were talking about Javier Bardem. I like whenever he shows up. And then you have Duncan Mm -hmm. and them showing respect to him. Where you have Paul. Right. (laughs) He goes, okay, so that's the way you do things. Okay. And then. At first, I took it as an insult, which it is an insult. But then, when uh, then of course, what Jason Momoa's character does is he uses it as a way that's comical, but also too respectful to them by by basically saying, "Okay, so you disrespected us. So you know what? We're going to go ahead and show the same disrespect towards us. So by doing that, we're going to go ahead and spit too." Stop it right there. <laughs> okay. Um, no. So what's happening what is. Thought. When they're spitting, water is extremely important. It's the only thing that matters to the Fremen. So when you spit, you're giving your water. So it's actually a sign of respect from one leader to the other. And the Atreides, who don't know that yet, take it as an insult until Jace or Duncan Idaho steps in and goes, no, 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 no. That's not how he means it. Mm-hmm. And he gives his water back in respect. So the whole room spits. Um, okay, and and there's little other pieces of that throughout, like when they're going to make the coffee before the Harkonnens and the Sadarker attack the uh, ecological plant towards the end of the movie. They're all contributing spit into the collector that's synthesizing out all of the bad stuff and just pulling out the water for their coffee. Everyone in the tribe is contributing to the water. Uh, when they take Jameis's body at the end, they don't talk about exhuming the body or burials. They talk about taking his water, right? They're going to pull every ounce of water out of anything that they can if it is needed for the tribe, much like the Native Americans did here where they used every bit of a kill. Every ounce of water is necessary for survival on Arrakis. So to give it is the ultimate honor. I had strong Ace Ventura vibes. (laughs) Okay, where's Jim Carrey coming? (laughs) Aren't I the popular one? <laughs> Jim Carrey is a Fremen would be great. I thought yeah. the reason why Jason Momoa knew that was because wasn't he undercover with like mm-hmm. living with them for like, for that that for yeah for that long period of time? So mm-hmm. I think that's how he knew more of their culture. As he liked to say, they fight like demons, and and it's like that one. I just thought every time you see him, he's got the beard doesn't have the beard mm-hmm. he's got the beard it's like it's like very like the editing is like the sequence where he's wearing the uh the, the white dress shirt or whatever coming out like he looks like he just woke up from a really pissed off nightmare and he's about to beat up some people like mm-hmm. you see him with no beard there yeah. and then and then the and as after that point on you see him sort of with the beard and this sort of and i thought that was just kind of funny he's like oh okay beard no beard it's kind of like the mustache gate from uh justice league henry cavill <laughs> mustache no mustache <laughs> but yeah, I here's another thing though too. Let's talk about like the final scene whenever mm-hmm. he's fighting, 
and finally meets up with Zendaya. Zendaya winds up handing him the blade, which he saw in his visions. It's bloody. He wasn't sure at first who was going to hand him the blade. He was At first, I thought it was going to be Lady Jessica for some reason that was going to hand him the blade because she actually had one of those same blades. Mm-hmm. So I remember looking at my fiance. I'm like, it's got to be Lady Jessica because of the fact that she has the same blade that was handed to her at the beginning of the film. And then you wind up finding it's Zendaya uh, that does it. And even though she doesn't do much in the film, she does wind up motivating uh, the fight scene a little bit to be able to have the blade in her in her hand in his hand. Then, of course, I liked how it basically this reminds me of Black Panther. Let me see your champion. So he winds up taking mm-hmm. Paul mm-hmm. Uh, as the champion to be able to go ahead and face off against each other and then kill them. And then Paul's trying to show mercy to him. But mm-hmm. in their culture, they don't show mercy on to anybody. You kill that person, then you take that person's spot. So, in a sense, he's trying to be like T'Challa. In a sense, where he's trying to show mercy to somebody, but somebody, but in that culture, you can't show mercy. Uh, is that also a sign of weakness in their cu- culture to show mercy to somebody because of the fact that you're not willing to take a life? Because you're not willing to take a, a take a life, so therefore. Mm-hmm you know, because you didn't take that life, then we, we don't have anybody else here to stand with. Yeah. That that's pretty much exactly what it is. Um, you know, it's a blood match through and through They're They're a warring society. Keep what you kill. So Jameis not believing in the religious superstition that has been instilled on their tribe for years, or at least not believing that Paul represents that challenges the outsiders because that's all they are to him to this fight he doesn't okay. believe that they should be given the right to see how fremen live and my other question is this though too and i'll let alex go ahead after me but because i know you have another question right alex yeah <laughs> Real quick. you know what i'm gonna let you go first and i'll go well, it was just like a couple of uh, comments uh first off I, I was just thinking the whole movie, I was like, man, Zendaya got a really chill job out of this. <laughs> she had like three lines, like, hey, look, Zendaya, yeah. you just need to say like four sentences, but all you do this movie is just. Here's a cool <laughs> million. Show your eyes. Million oh, we're also going to superimpose blue over them. <laughs> and look, Zendaya, look we need you sitting outside on a cliff in the desert, and we're going to zoom in on you, and then it's going to fade away. So do that real so quick. So chill. Some like, sexy okay. flowing robes. Yes. Some blue eyes. You, you, you know how you do modeling shoots? That, that, this, that's what all you're doing. It's, it's oh, and you're working chill. with Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's a kiss. <laughs> okay. Uh, all you got to do is, you know, you know you're rolling uh, in uh, Spider-Man? Okay. It's going to be 100% less of that. <laughs> you know how you talk in other movies? You're not, you're not, no. <laughs> There's not, no dialogue. Pay $50 million. Okay. <laughs> and, the, and the other comment, I thought, I just thought it was funny. What, what's the guy that Paul fight? What's his name again? Jameis. Jameis. He he's like built up to be like the more ferocious warrior of their group, mm-hmm. right? I just thought it was it was lightweight, disrespectful. How it was just like, ah, you're gonna fight the most ferocious warrior in our in our tribe, so you're probably gonna die, Paul. And Paul just straight up disrespects him, just like slaps the shit out of him multiple times in front of his friends and then stabs him. 
And I was just like, oh, that was actually very easy for Paul to kill this guy. Like everyone was betting against him. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like I get Paul has like powers and he had mm-hmm. that foresight. But I was just like, damn, they couldn't even well, like one of his powers. It was one the of his other powers. power. Remember what I was saying earlier about the Bene Gesserit women being able to control every single cell in their body? Yeah. yeah. Well, Jessica has been training Paul in that art on top of all of the mental stuff in the voice. And which is so, also why the witch is mad at her in the first place, too. Mm-hmm. So for him, he can metaphysically beat any opponent before they've even swung their first strike. Oh. Like, he just sees it. It's faster. You know, that's why he's he's grabbing his hand, putting the blade up, grabbing his hand, putting the blade up. Like he could have killed him fifteen times in the first second. Oh damn! But he but he didn't. Be, no, sorry, get ahead. But he didn't because he showed mercy. Was trying to show right. mercy to him. But then once he's he realized, right? Because then once he realized, hey, look, it's either killed or be killed. Mm-hmm. So therefore, he had to kill him. Now, mm-hmm. my question is this: Of course, he has the voice. Of course, he has the visions and stuff like that. Remember when his father said, well, now we can control the sand and the water. Now, does he have the ability to control the sandworms and also the water? Now, that's something that I was wondering about, too, because I'm like. Not the water, but but water worms. (laughs) Alaskan sandworms. Remind me of Michael Bay. You know what this film needs? Water worms. Yeah. Um. (laughs) But to, to answer your question, John, the part where they're being chased by the worm and it stops right in front of him. Yeah. That's because he is he's spice sensitive and the voices that he's hearing are the sandworms. He is connected with them at a level that no one understands yet. And it's something very, very special about him. And the worms revere him. In a okay. Way. Because... Um, Without because giving I remember when uh, the guy you yeah. faced off against, he said, no, that wasn't him. That was my thumper that stopped the sandworm. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, but okay. It was Paul. Okay. Because it was making me think, yes. did Paul stop it or did the thumper stop it? So no. so that that's part of Jameis's justification for going against the religious mythos that's created around Paul. Is he's saying, no, he doesn't have that ability because one of the abilities in their superstitions is he'll have the ability to control the worms. And that's our first glimpse of Paul actually having that talent. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's basically so, Keanu Reeves. He's Keanu, he's the he's Neo, but yes. a sci-fi or like a uh, old like a very like different version of Neo in a sense. Like I said, it launched a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they go back on the whole point about how he's able to pick up every I was about to make. Oh, so he's basically Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a good movie. I know. Oh, <laughs> I like those movies. <laughs> I did too. I just, I just, I just want that. But um, honestly, Sherlock. they're fine. It was just sounded fun. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was good. But yeah, him stop when he just basically said he's able to stop stuff. I was like, oh, he's basically Neo. And but it's like, and then also it's like, so and then the other part of the reason why you can't really trust Lady Jessica is because the people that she was from, they're trying, they were trying to like kill the family, and they said don't hurt the son or or Jessica, 
And he goes, oh, we're not, which we kind of know they were. So it's like, mm-hmm. you can't, like, again, that's just another reason why you sort of can't really trust her because the, like how she grew up, they're mm-hmm. corrupting her mind. So it's like, it's just a lot of, like, not trusting with her, which I was hoping, take her away and bring <laughs> back Duncan. <laughs> there is so many more layers to the story that are to come. But you're on the right track, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what my high school principal told me until I ended up feeling his class. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, I I do appreciate you coming on the show, Nick, and everything, just doing like a Mm -hmm. Q&A movie review of this on stuff that we had questions over. Mm -hmm. Because the fact we didn't know what we were going to be diving into and things like that within the world of Dune. We didn't know how complex the story Mm -hmm. was. We didn't know anything going into it now i actually feel like i'm i have the knowledge of being able to explain to people certain things that you explain to me and make myself mm-hmm. feel smarter even though they come from you but <laughs> but still i'm happy that you were able to come on the show with us and to be able to have a q a with us to be able mm-hmm. to talk to us about dune because if not, we would have not. We would have been doing a lot of just doing speculations and theory and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I do appreciate you doing that with us. That, that's a big reason why I wanted to do this too, because uh, you know I I'm very passionate about the book, as you can tell. Uh, I can and I'm a I'm a new reader too. For those of you out there who like I don't have the time, I read all these books in the last like year and a half. So that's impressive, savage. You know, it's it's not one of those things where my whole life I've been a Dune fan and I've known everything about it. They're they're incredible reads, mostly because the writing is so strong. But then the story just pulls you in. And I felt like this rendition of it was as near perfect to the book as you can get with a film. And And I'm really happy that you decided to review it and have me on. So thank you. You're very welcome. And this is why I'm going to have you on again for part two and part three. So that way we can have more. And uh, the Ben HBO series, too, that's coming out in between the two. Oh, yeah, I don't know if you guys great. have seen that. So that. In, in that series, I, I haven't read too much about the timeline, but just to speculate a little bit on it. I'm guessing that it's going to take place pre-Paul. And we're going to get Jessica's story. And they're going to weave in what's called the Butlerian Jihad which is the part, you know, before we started going live that I was talking about in the prelude of the books, mankind goes to war with computers and the machines and artificial intelligence, essentially. So we have to give up all computers, all abilities to make electronic thought. And the Bene Gesserit play a key role in defeating that. And so I'm curious if they're going to go back to when that was happening and then pull us forward into Jessica's time leading up to the birth of Paul, when she's doing her Bene Gesserit training, when she's doing all the stuff that kind of get her to where she's at in part one. Okay. Well, with that being said, thank you again, Nick, for coming on here, talking about doing with us, reviewing doing with us. Uh, I do appreciate Brandy in the comments. I'll accept the ball bag that I had a block. But he did, ask, he did ask a good question because did they announce when part two is coming out? Uh, so far it's 2023 and they're going to start filming it next year, October 23rd, 2023. Yeah, okay. Um, hopefully, it doesn't like, like, I, I don't know, I could like 
Hopefully he comes out in 2023. I don't know. I mean, they, luckily they already have this set and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to it's gonna be like an intense, like, couple months just to film this. So, right. yeah. Hopefully he puts Zendaya to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's, what's come <laughs> is even bigger, even grander, and more spectacular than part one. Nice. I mean, All right. So with that being said, Alex, where can everybody follow you at? Oh, you guys can follow me if you choose to on Twitter or Instagram at atownalex3. I don't know why I picked the number three, but that's where you can follow me. <laughs> and you can check out my movie reviews at Atown Reviews. And Nick, where can everybody follow you at and everything else? I know you're busy doing your uh, doing some acting and stuff like that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone can find me on Instagram, nckafkis. Nick Kafkis is the name. Or uh, you can follow one of my film accounts called Glass. Uh, underscore 2021. Okay, and everybody, you guys can go on ahead, follow me underneath all social medias under Movie Lovers TV Lovers Tonight on Facebook and on Instagram and on Pinterest as well. Then, of course, if you guys want an audio-only podcast of this episode and many shows that we do here at Movie Lovers Tonight, you guys can get that wherever you guys get your major podcasts from. Also, too, go ahead and rate us on Good Pods. You know what Good Pods is? I'm glad that you guys asked what Good Pods is. Good Pods is basically social media for podcasts. So if you're into podcasting or if you're a podcaster yourself, or you just like listening to podcasts, go on ahead, check out Good Pods, rate us on Good Pods and everything. You can rate individual episodes. Tell us what you think about the episode, and we'll also interact with you over there. Then, of course, I do some promotions and stuff like that off of TikTok. You guys can follow me underneath Movie Lovers Unit 01 or 0. And so, therefore, that's how you can reach me out over there. Then, of course, you guys can reach me underneath Movie Lovers Unit on Twitter as well. And then you guys can go on ahead. If you're a sponsor or would like to be on the show, all you have to do is reach out to me at MovieLoversUnite at gmail.com. That's everywhere that you guys can do. Also, too, if you want to donate to the page, how do you do that? You just go on ahead, go to GoFundMe.com forward slash Movie Lovers Podcast, and that's how you can donate 5 to $10 to the page. And we'll be great, grateful for that. But if you can't, I totally understand this pandemic has holes in your guys' pockets and stuff like that. Just go on ahead and just hit smash that little subscribe button on the bottom right-hand corner. Also, too, go on ahead and give us a thumbs up. Smash that little bell on the right-hand side. That's good enough for us to say, hey, look, we have some new stuff coming out. As a matter of fact, speaking of new stuff, I actually have finishing off my Halloween series. Yeah, I'm still doing that. Um I'm going to be doing The Shining Review with Christopher Minori tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific Time. This is more of a movie discussion rather than review, comparing the movie to the book and dissecting the book from the movie and doing it that way. So if you're into that, go on ahead, check me out, 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific Time with independent writer Christopher Minori for that. Then, of course, like I said, Email me at movielovesunite at gmail.com. And also do another thing too is I also teamed up with two Blur Girls podcast to do a charity with them. And it's through Sensi. All proceeds go to the Children's of St. Jude's Hospital. We raised $792, which is more than our goal. And we're doing it again this month. So go on ahead, donate. It helps for a good cause. And always until next time, guys, it's been real. It's been fun. Can't wait to do this again. And thank you again, guys, for taking the time out of your night to review Dune with me. I do appreciate that. And uh, I'll see you guys on the next one. Fear is the mind killer.